Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there. The show is brought to you by Levi Solicitors, our podcast partners. They'll give you 10% off your legal fees if you go to levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. My name's Dan. Hello. Michael is here as well. Hello. So is Moscow White. Daniel Chapman. Hello. A quick reminder that TSB Plus is on sale, our all-in-one subscription package where you get a full digital sub to the magazine so you can see the very latest issue. You get all the podcasts completely ad-free, early access to the match ball and our subscriber-only podcast the extra ball where we talk about stuff and you get a daily email with all the essential League United news, Super League or otherwise from Moscow. It's at the squareball.net forward slash plus. We've spoke extensively then on the match ball and on propaganda about the Super League. Its collapse has been hilarious. So in this show, we will deal with the collapse and ask what next. But to witness it collapsing, I think, I mean, we're recording on Wednesday morning. To witness it collapsing last night was absolutely spectacular and hilarious, and I enjoyed it a great deal. It's been one of those eras in football that I think we'll remember for many, many years. It's got that kind of historical um, feel to the whole. To describe thing, it as an it? era almost oversells it. It was, <laughs> it was but a day, wasn't it? More or less, it was. It was a creeping out a statement at midnight to creeping out another statement at midnight, and some mess in between. Just going, just boy, we're, uh, we're joining this this new league. And then a few days later, we're not. That thing we said about the new league, we're not going to bother. Like um, Arsenal's statement, proudly displaying that they're going to join the new, we're one of the founder clubs of the new European Super League. And now we're a proud club that always listens to its supporters. (laughs) (laughs) Who we didn't ask about this. We didn't think they'd mind. We didn't think it was a big deal. We thought it'd it'd be like, I don't know, changing the colour of the shorts or something. We didn't think they fucking mattered, is what it comes down to. I told you they were stupid. You did, you did call it right. Um, but we've also, I think it was on propaganda at the start of that, we did acknowledge that you were right. So let's not butter <laughs> you up too much. Um, but it does speak in that sense to something that's maybe changing in football. I know I mentioned there as well, the, the disparity between Harry Maguire's wages and Ed Woodward's wages. And you do look around at, at this and the supporters are getting a lot of attention, particularly in Yorkshire because of the protests outside Elland Road. But there's also the players who were not told about any of this. And I think a lot of um, Jordan Henderson marching into people's offices and Harry Maguire going and shouting at people who, although they are technically his bosses, part of their stupidity is putting these players in a position where they are so much wealthier than them and so much younger than them and so much famous than them and have so much more status than them. And as it's turning out with people like Henderson, Maguire, Rashford for what he's been doing all season and, and 
various other people around scattered around the game, there's sort of a, a rising intelligence and consciousness and a change from the old footballer who all they would ever tell you is that they like the new Phil Collins CD. You had Patrick Bamford straight after the game linking the launch of a, a European Super League to discussions around racism, you know, an intersectional conversation going on in a, a post-match football interview that is not as unusual from footballers now as you've seen because they've got money, they've got leisure time and they've got the willingness to learn that is giving them lots of advantages over the people who are running these football clubs who think they're in charge and actually are not because the alliances that are forming are between the players and the supporters are turning out to be the ones who really want to continue the football club. A lot of it was a bit cringeworthy when you have players saying, I grew up hoping that one day I would play in this league and say, okay, you, you dreamed of finishing third and qualifying for the Champions League every season. Some of it is bullshit, but there is the still the acknowledgement there that there is more to football than what the owners, particularly the ones involved in, in the Super League, think is there and the power is definitely shifted and it comes it really is made absolutely clear by the fact that Harry Maguire will carry on at Manchester United Ed Woodward has to leave We've always known that the tail wags the dog in football it's been the case ever since the Bosman ruling came into force and gave players and therefore agents all the power and I think that's what this cabal of well this group of, of mafia this, this these people who tried to hijack the game all these rich old men who are completely detached from the fans, you know, make no mistake, they don't know what Gen Z wants, do they? They've got no idea. They're doing it based on a little bit of research around tastes, uh, about what Gen Z likes to do. But it's it's so simplified, it's so boiled down, but they used it as a whole platform for this bullshit experiment. Uh, um, no, they used it as a smokescreen for this bullshit experiment because it was about money. It wasn't about Gen Z. I was going to say what they've been attracted to here is that someone has gone to them and said, if you come and do this, we can make all your debt problems. I know you've run your club abysmally for a decade or two now, and you've got, as a result, you owe shitloads of money. If you just do this, we can probably fix it for you. And they've gone, all right, yep, that's fine. I believe it was uh, Square Ball writer Andy P, actually, Arctic Reviews on Twitter, who pointed out it's basically a, a corporate debt restructuring exercise, isn't it? That's all it boiled down to in the end. And again, sort of squaring the circle, why are they so much in debt? Because we keep saying you gave half a million pound a week to Gareth Bale for no reason. I think one of the other factors that we're seeing with players in this now is that they have the reputation for being greedy and money grabbers and that the agents are ruining the game and they take every penny out of it. I get the feeling that if you went to every player at the top level who earns that kind of money, if you went to, to Gareth Bale and you never offered him £500,000 a week, you only offered him a mere £100,000 a week or a fraction of, of what they've been given over the last few years, it would have made absolutely no difference. They'd have signed on the, the contract. They would have played the football anyway. They would have been absolutely happy. I think I don't think Harry Maguire necessarily thinks himself that he needs nearly £10 million every year. It's been a race of mushrooming and exploding wages driven by the owners who now have never been able to afford to pay the players in the first place who never even wanted as much of money. There will be one or two. There is obviously the ones who will be, you know, they, they want the, the massive contracts and whatever. But truthfully, the majority of footballers earn that much money. You could actually stop paying them half of their wages and they probably wouldn't even notice. Yeah. Whereas if, some, if your average person, if someone cut your wage in half, you would get your bank statement and you'd go, oh, fucking hell, or your bills would, wouldn't be able to go out. Whereas a footballer, if you earn, if you have got half a million pounds or a quarter of a million pounds going into your bank every week, 
I'm sure it's fine, isn't it? You probably you're probably not really going to notice or miss it. And I'm sure Erling Haaland, if he doesn't get his million pounds a week, isn't going to think, well, this isn't for me. I'm going to I shall retrain as a banker where I can earn more than this. And that's where I think some of that is then driving the more social consciousness that the players are presenting because they're they're looking to do something with all this money that they've been given and they're being drawn towards doing something good with it instead of just replicating the choices and the businesses of the people who are giving them the money and that's leading them to discovering more socially positive things that they can do with with their their money and all the free time that they have so there's two things but i think sometimes agnelli and perez forgets about their game is that um, one they're stupid and two their businesses are actually very small like the agnelli group you know they own fiat and ferrari and all this Juventus is a tiny part of that overall conglomerate in terms of revenue and and all it is actually is debt. They're really bad at this and they're quite small time and they've created a lot of people who are considerably richer and savvier than than they will ever be who are more aligned because you can't get much more Gen Z than Marcus Rashford. He's exactly the age and the demographic who they're trying to sell the game to and he's not interested in any of the game that they're they're trying to sell. He wants to do good in the world and play football in the, the Premier League and the Champions League for a horrible, horrible team. And the fact they hung this on COVID as well is quite instructive, I think, because what it signifies, I think, is that the veil has fallen away for them a little bit, that, hang on a second, this gravy train might actually stop at some point or it could be interrupted. Its progress isn't linear. It's not always just going to plough ahead and get exponentially richer and richer and richer. It's choked their revenues a little bit and they've gone, oh shit, oh shit, we better do something about and this. And we need to stress the, the little bit as well because teams make their money from, at this level, make their money from broadcast primarily. I'm, Spurs obviously make a lot of their stadium, but still the majority of money for these clubs does come from the TV contracts, which have kept going more or less. There's a slight tweak to it. You know, if there's a club wanting to justify changing a business model off the back of COVID, it should be someone in League One or League Two or a non-league club who actually yeah. has seen all, pretty much all of their revenue disappear. And it also goes to show that the whole business model for many of these, and this you know circles back to what we were saying before about them all being idiots, the finances are hanging by a thread. They're hanging by a thread for so many clubs. And actually, it's nice to be a Leeds fan and see that ours, despite you know a set of accounts that raised a few eyebrows because they involve losses, we're actually in pretty rude health because although you know wages to turnover were high for the championship, when you now apply that to the Premier League, it's going to look a lot more sensible. The whole model is broken. Everything is broken. The whole thing needs starting again, is the, is the uncomfortable truth of it. And there are too many people too invested at the top for that to happen. It's just like in the way that right now, the Liverpool and Arsenal owners, should just they should really just turn their back and go, you know what, this isn't really for us. But no one can, no one can afford to buy them anymore. The yeah. only people who can afford to buy them would be some other pricks. Yeah. <laughs> what I was saying, um, I think a bit on the match ball and then in my evening post column, I think it was about how all this is kind of to solve the massive legacy. I mean, they've talked about legacy fans, the legacy debt at Real Madrid and Barcelona and Juventus that they're all trying to cope with. Them going to form this Super League to form that diminishes the value of the investment that somebody like Andrea Rattazzani has made in a football club that is being run now sustainably and the way Leeds and Leicester are running things where Radrizzani when he came into Leeds it's almost you know I don't believe in particularly being grateful to owners or talking a, a forelock but he does seem to be played it very right 
where he came in and said, right, I've got five years and I've got this much money to get out of the championship. If it doesn't work, I sell. Whereas what's been happening before the likes of Radrick Sainz, people just come in and they throw more and more money at it until they go broke. So, But he was never, whatever Radrick Sainz did wrong, taking us to Myanmar, designing the badge, all that kind of stuff, and then anything along the way that he disagreed with or, or agreed with. At the end of it, the football club was probably going to be fine. And if we hadn't gone up last season, he changed the parameters of, of how much he was staking on at, at whatever moment because Bielsa was right. We, we bet everything on Bielsa because that's working. But if we hadn't gone up last season, we sell a couple of players, we lower the wage bill, we go again and the club's still there. It might not make the playoffs that year. It lowers its expectations. Everything would be fine. He's got into the Premier League and the attitude now seems to be exactly the same. We stay in the Premier League. We don't overspend on players. We've got budgets for this. We look for opportunities where we, we can tip our hat a little bit, but we're careful. We don't start building a stadium until we're in the second or third year. We've got these trigger points to make sure we, we meet them. It's not just shoveling all the money onto a bonfire the way these clubs are. And what part of what they're abandoning the Premier League for Super League would do is diminish the value of Leeds United as a football club because our next broadcasting deal to say, well, I mean, the good Arsenal matches in the European Super League. So we're not going to give the, the remaining Premier League clubs, even if those teams had stayed in it, the next Premier League broadcasting deal would have been reduced. And so you've got owners, it's not just Radrizzani, I think you've got Leicester are very well run. Everton seems to be doing all right, although their team is just consistently average. Southampton reinvesting the, the Van Dyke money, they get done 9-0 a couple of times a season, but they also progress. Those clubs who are being well run, being punished, because these people who've been running their clubs terribly need to desperately service this debt and are grasping at this opportunity. And that's why I was kind of thinking, yeah, well, fuck them, kick them out of the league. And then the teams that remain are the ones that are sensible. And I mean, based on how the Super League has gone in the two days it existed, can you imagine how it would have gone if it actually had come to, to, to pass? Uh, they played two seasons of this and they were already apparently in the build to launching it starting to look at each other and they all don't trust each other and who's running this league, who gets to decide <laughs> what. And it was going to be an absolute disaster. Let them all fucking implode because it's really, it's nothing to do with us. And we we went through our own debt problem. We paid for it for 16 years. Without parachute payments, let me add, because they didn't start until after, it was uh, several years after we went yeah. down. And this lot are trying to get out of all that. And then Leeds, you know, it's kind of, it's it's forgotten as part of this, but Leeds would have suffered if this had had, had gone ahead in terms of having less broadcasting from being a less valuable product, even if we were in the Champions League and we're playing Bayer Leverkusen on a Wednesday night, we're up against Real Madrid against Barcelona on the same night in the European Super League and Radrick Zanis just built a new fucking West Stand with financial backers who are now saying, well, you're not selling much cheese out of that, are you? <laughs> so it would have had an impact on us and it's all because they are really, really bad at running football clubs and so I think as well as the new generation of players who are a, a, a bit more thoughtful about what they're doing I think there is a generation of owners who are coming in who are not as stupid as the the ones who've come before who all I mean Radrizzani's background in broadcasting with MP and Silver kind of keeps him in the loop a little bit but he did come into football from outside he was a fan of Juventus Whereas Agnelli, who runs Juventus, is the son of the guy who bought John Charles from Leeds. And his only qualification for running Juventus is he's part of the Agnelli family. And there's so much of that at so many of these clubs. And that's what's been uh, dragging them down. And it's nothing to do with us. 
fucking form that league again and fuck off. <laughs> I like the idea that each of these vipers was sat there and looked around and went, oh shit, we're in a nest of vipers here. What do we do? Oh, let's all bite each other, which would have happened and is probably going to happen in the fallout from this, you, uh, you suspect. And yeah, that overarching motivation, the self-interest of we take a wrecking ball to the entirety of European football just to fix our problems. Fuck you. And it'd fix them, as Motika said, it'd fix them for 10 minutes because before you know it, Mbappe's not in that league and they're all fighting to who can pay, who's going to put all of their 350 million joining fee into signing Mbappe. And then all of a sudden they'll be like, we didn't get rid of any of that debt, did we? Yeah, Fuck, yeah, they spent it all. They're acting like there wouldn't have been an arms race within that league. Yeah, which is completely, it's a complete fallacy, like, isn't it? Because there always is. And for the stuff that Ed Woodward has done well at Man United, he gets praised for bringing in all these new partners and stuff. But it, none of it fucking means anything. It's like, well done, you've got a, a new a new drinks partner. What's happened with that money? Oh, we've spent it already. Old, is that, old, why? Stop spending it. Is, uh, old Trafford is a gradually crumbling shambles as well, isn't it? It's not <laughs> the stadium. Um, it's nothing like Spurs Stadium, nothing yeah. like the Emirates. Yeah, there are leagues within leagues and all that. Move it to Singapore. They may do. Uh, with their tractor partner, they might use their tractor partner to drive all the stuff over there very slowly across the Russian continent. Um, so question then, because we've seen... And we identified these two clubs as the ones that will probably be the ones that will pull out. Chelsea and Man City don't need the money, so it didn't really make sense for them to be in this in the first place. It seems they just got involved in this to avoid missing out. A bit of FOMO, as Gen Z might call it. Do we hold them in the same disregard as we do the other owners who've uh, driven this by, well, be it American self-interest or be it debt? It's hard to know which is worse, really, because you you would essentially end up praising Chelsea and Man City for already having the wealth of a country behind them. Is that nice? I don't know. Like, Well done to Abramovich for knowing the right people in the Russian government at the right time that he became a billionaire so he doesn't have to join this new league as much as someone else. It's like, well... Yeah, well I won't go as far as to praise them for it, but I'm saying are we holding them in the same... Yeah, uh, fuck them. Uh, okay. They were part of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not like they were only phoned up at the end of last week. It was The end of last week was basically, we're going to announce this. Are you in or out? We've been talking about it. So... Do you want to be part of this or not? And it seems like that's what's happened with PSG and Bayern Munich have been part of this and they've said no. And City and Chelsea have been part of it and said yes. So that's the thing. And we mentioned Agnelli and the kind of the, I think the punishments need to be kind of um, involved in, do you split them up or you just say you were all in on this? Because there was an article he wrote at the start of this year that saw mentioned, James Horncastle mentioned it deep in an athletic piece. And I thought, I'd go and find it. It's called um, uh, What Will Football Be Like in 2040? How to Govern the Best Show on Earth by Andrea Agnelli. I thought this will be interesting to find out some of the thinking behind the Super League. And the thinking behind the Super League from the top is basically there's been a pandemic, so let's take the piss, is what it, it comes down to. It's full of his description of the state of play in football is he's trying to to argue that these things have been revealed because of the pandemic. But when he says grassroots football has come to a standstill, camps are closed and many of them will not reopen because their resources have dried up forever. The ease of access to football, the one that led us all to love the game, is being undermined by social distancing rules and the desire to emulate has been diminished by the image of empty, therefore sad, stadiums. Um, amateurs hardly play anymore. Young people do not get involved in sport and consumers have to select much more than before. In the meantime, the new generation Z is finally appearing, which has values and interests that are very different. So his idea is that this is 
somehow predates the empty stadiums and all this is not a pandemic problem. The social distancing he's talking about, that's purely a pandemic problem. It will end. But rather than wait for it to end and deal with football then, the European Super League is, comes in. And his, his idea is that football should belong to the players, the investors and the public. And the public's role, may have no bones about it, is to pay to watch the game or whatever they produce. His belief is that the best product, because amateur football is dead, nobody can play it because of the fucking pandemic, you idiot. There's nobody's going to these, these stadiums, nobody walks to the ground because the ticket prices were too high even before the pandemic closed them all. Then the only product that is any good in football anymore is the glittering teams at the top and them playing each other. So we need to entrust football to them, the European Super League, Make let the investors and the entrepreneurs make that the most wonderful football product that there has ever been so that we just kind of forget about grassroots for a while and everybody watches that. And then when that makes so much more money than what is on offer at the moment ever will, we will give that money back to the grassroots and the amateurs and we will rebuild uh, them that way. But we need it for our debt, it turns out, when yeah. it comes to it. When it comes to actually paying that money, it's like, well, next year. Yeah, well, we put a roof on our stadium, didn't we? And next it's year. Cost, it's cost a lot of money. And I mean, how can we attract the best players if we're paying for that roof? I was surprised, actually, because when the way this essay was talked about, that it's his vision for football in 2040, I thought it was going to be something deeper and something perhaps that has more analysis of what a modern generation wants from from football fans and what his uh, his views would be. But actually, it just reads like a lot of COVID um, opportunism. The idea that fucking grassroots football is dead because of the pandemic. It's like and the big, therefore the we have to have the European stuff. Super League. Is the big picture wrong. stuff was exactly the same thing, wasn't it? It was people seizing an opportunity going, we're in a bit of a stronger position than we thought we would be here because of bad world events. Yeah. Should we do? Should we help or should we use this as a way to make ourselves more powerful? While so, pretending to help. Yeah, exactly. You dropped the P-bomb there, Moscow. Punishment. Liverpool, Arsenal, Spurs, <laughs> uh, Man United, Man City, Chelsea. What do we do to them? Do we do anything? Because I don't think anything will happen. I think I don't think anything will either. No. I think they'll be let off on the basis of thank you for not leaving. But they should be punished. Of course they should. Look at what how other teams have been punished. And, and any of this shit I've seen, obviously, from supporters of these clubs saying who seem to have come to the realisation that people who get points deductions don't deserve them. After all these years, they go, well, it's not really the, it's not really the club's problem. It's it the owners. the fans. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> Like I'm sure I'm sure Wigan fans didn't realise this when their club was absolutely had the piss taken out of them and got relegated because someone gambled took a gamble on them essentially. I don't know about you, but that, that minus twenty five, I didn't even notice it happened really. I thought good we deserve this. That's <laughs> I I felt personally responsible for it. I was always on at Peter Ridsdale saying if you don't bring Seth Johnson to this club, I'm throwing my season ticket on the pitch. It's just I don't understand how this conclusion has suddenly been reached that you shouldn't be punishing clubs because of things the owners have done. That is that is literally the only thing you ever get punished for is the owners. Mm, they, yeah. they Because they're in charge of it, yeah. weirdly enough. And then you punish them, and then the, it's the fans' job to try and enact change in the ownership as a result of it. Just like we had to put up with fucking baits for years. Yeah. And if the, if the governance was properly in place in the first place, that wouldn't happen either. If there were actual proper checks, the oysters at Blackpool doesn't happen because there would be the powers to go, you seem like pricks, I'm afraid. You're out. Well, the next question is one that kind of flows from that. Is there any good going to come from this? Because what I suspect will probably happen is we'll see reform. Rather than punishment, we'll see reform to prevent this happening again. So they legislate around it, be that at Premier League level, because 
it's 14 clubs to carry out reform, isn't it? And obviously, as luck would have it, there are 14 clubs still left there who will probably want to ensure against this happening again. It's very nice that it has flipped in that respect because all of a sudden those six used to come swaggering into meetings saying, well, we're going to need more here. Whereas now they have to come into a meeting and say, please don't, yeah. please don't do the point reduction. And it was always the purpose of it, actually, to be fair to them. So if we can somehow restructure the league in a way that spreads things fairly. I mean, this is where we go back to, um, it needs a more broad reform because I'd like to see changes through the football league as a whole structure, not just in the Premier League. I'd like to see, so there's not such a ridiculous chasm and it becomes more of a, a sporting punishment to be relegated rather than a financial punishment, which is what it is. Yeah, you, essentially is what he is seen as you now. need to remove the desperation angle from being in the championship yeah essentially I, 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 it's more than is going to be done is what I, what I would do is is completely restructure the whole thing which isn't going to happen but if we could somehow make it so that those six don't have any Champions League places next year I think that would be absolutely fair I think it would be fair enough to maybe even start them on a points deduction next season personally because I think they deserve they deserve properly hauling over the coals for this what do people get points deductions for it's it is not actually altering the competition. People have never. I don't think that's a that'd be unprecedented, wouldn't it? To yeah, to have someone actually trying to. But they have breached a Premier League rule. That's the thing, which is that you cannot play in competitions outside of the sanctioned ones. Now, I guess the fact that they signed the contracts shows the intent to do so, even though they didn't actually play any games. But whether that holds up or not, I don't know. Have also seen anecdotal um, discussion about. Penalties for Premier League clubs, I think, need 75% of the members. So that would be 15 of the 20 clubs, which obviously you're not going to get because one of them would have to agree to punish Chelsea. If Chelsea are as good as Matt Law thinks they are, Roman Abramovich, (laughs) be a hero, probably take the fans. I mean, there's actually, there's a, if you're Roman Abramovich and you're richer than God, then do you say, yeah, I'll vote to to punish you because you know it's going to hurt. That's Old true, Trafford actually. more than it will hurt Stamford Bridge. A that, billion pound fine, I think. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> there is some hope for punishment. I know Everton's chairman uh, went on Talksport and said he thinks points deductions should be coming. This is before it fell apart. But if you take that as the public voice of what's being privately said in in that meeting, and there is the track record. I mean, Juventus were relegated in in Italy for the it was the match fixing and financial scandals over there. So there has been some precedent there and I think there's a lot of appetite and I think the anger among the the 14 who again I was saying this on on the match ball one of the things that the Premier League has as it's uh, for all its faults has as its possibility is that the people in it can make it better and so if you look if you think next year who's going to drop out the bottom I think West Brom's ownership's pretty terrible but you replace them with Norwich and Delia Smith whether you like her recipes or not. Um, Norwich, obviously, we have our, our historical beef with them. The way they're set up seems to be, again, quite sensible. We'll go down, we'll come up, we're not going to bust the bank, we'll believe in our manager. The new values that, what I was talking about, Radrizani earlier, that this kind of, kind of movement of, of owners seem to be signing up for. Brentford as well, where they have that absolute adherence to their their model and believe in what they're doing and how sustainable it can be. And that's their their watchword. And you start to get among the 14 more of those kind of voices. And they present so differently as well. You, you saw fucking Perez, who's an absolute mess of a human being. <laughs> and you compare him to somebody like, I always forget the, the name of the fellow who owns Brentford. But so, and I'm trying to um, expand it beyond just Radrizani, but you compare them to, to, to them. 
the new lot, they, they seem sharper. They, they're not as fucking bothered. They're, they're crowded by debt and concern and, and all the things that are piling on these clubs to put them in this situation. You would be one of those old clubs and you would look at them coming into the Premier League meetings and you think, I'm kind of jealous. Why, why, are they, why is their club not losing money hand over fist? And they've got a nice suit and their fans seem to like them. Whereas I can't go to Liverpool because I'll get attacked in the streets and chased around and John, something... John Henry barred from Pop World Liverpool did you see that tweet this morning I mean <laughs> so there is something more there's that possibility of change just as, as more sensible people getting the room around those tables and getting rid of these old problems that, are, that none of them have created what interest did Brentford really have in Liverpool's financial problems don't give a fuck it's Liverpool's problem. We're all running our clubs quite well. Penny for the thoughts of the 49ers. Mm, you do wonder, don't you, if circumstances had been different and maybe they owned a bigger slice and we'd been in the Champions League already and have been invited and had a better stadium and we were well, invited yeah. into this. What if we're, we're three years in the future and we've rebuilt Ellen Road or five years in the future, whatever it might be, and in much the same way that I was saying, uh, I believe it was on the match ball, wasn't it? Spurs are in there by virtue of their turnover alone. That was the only reason they were in there because they built a new stadium with its cheese room and it makes lots of money. And that's all. Yeah, we have been able to be fairly smug about this because it's clear we're not involved. But we're, we also have to acknowledge that we are completely in our own way looking after our self-interest here because this isn't the club that we weren't invited to join, were we? So we can we we can easily point at them and say, look at these bad people. But mm. I mean, don't get me wrong. If we were in a position where the club were wanting to join we would have been those Liverpool fans sounding heartbroken and protesting against it. But from the club's point of view, it's very hard to say. You can't you can't have a go at them for what you think they might have done. Yeah, you, and, can't, you can't attack an imagined future, can you? No, but, and it, but, but you, can, you can be vigilant, though, about yeah. your owners. And that's one of the things that we've always done. And it's, and it's the reason why some years back, now we started all this when we, when we took on the fanzine and then we started the podcast a year later, was because we were pissed off with Ken Bates and, you know, I don't want any, we don't need any medals for the fact that we did it, but we took some right pelters for opposing him. And I like to think that over the course of time, our vigilance towards owners, just keeping an eye on it, you know, has, has probably been the right one. And that's why rules need to be put in place now as well. If there's one thing that does change, if it's not points deductions and relegations and stuff, which it, arguably it should be, but if it's not that, it needs to be absolutely cast iron rule changes that yeah. mean this sort of thing can't happen you, you again. Try, you try this again, you're out of the Premier League automatically. You forfeit your place at the end of the season, done. And also, maybe the more sensibly run clubs might want to try and vote in something that stops the completely ridiculous wage inflation because when Man United decide they're going to pay Harry Maguire 200 grand a week or whatever, it means that Leicester's next centre-back goes from being on 50 grand a week to 80 grand a week because he's gone well. The top end is this, therefore the middle is this. I know, I know you've got that massive transfer fee. Exactly. It just it keeps shifting upwards endlessly, doesn't it? So if there's if there are reforms around that, I think that would be a good thing as well. Yeah, I think the the position of the 49ers is is interesting because I could imagine them as the uh, European Super League if it had taken shape, calling up they have that weekly Zoom meeting with the the guys at Leeds and going like just I know we I know we sorted it out last week. But just explain to me one more time why a franchise system doesn't work because it works here. And just just tell me again, a closed shop is a bad thing because I know we've dealt with it, and just maybe that because we know 
we know less about the 49ers um, than we do about the what we've seen of Radrizzani and Kinnear over the last few years. They're a bit more of an unknown quantity. They say all the right things. Um, Marathe, um, there's quotes from him saying, you know, you've got to approach any kind of investment you make in sports, you've got to approach it with passion. It can't just be pure sports. So you, you take that on face value and it sounds fine, but you also know the background that they have and the, the sports that they've been very financially successful in um, is built upon the kind of things that are involved in, in the Super League. And so trying to persuade them that it's a bad idea might be more difficult than it would be to persuade um, a, a European football owner, chairman, fan that it's a bad idea. And we also know that they moved their home stadium 40 miles down the road or whatever it was to Santa Clara and the justification being that that's where the majority of their season ticket holders reside. And I don't know whether that's true or not. I've got no particular view on that. But what we do know is that they did it. The flip side is when you look at the, not just them, but um, what's his face, Chad Hurley, and the things that they seem to be enjoying about soccer and getting involved in English soccer and European soccer, the uh, the Coast Talk guy it also invests in the Danish club that I think the Brentford owner is involved with and they've been around Swansea as well all the clubs who are doing the things with data and analytics and new thinking and new styles but on top of the authenticity of the experience of football the excitement that it offers of relegation and promotion they're kind of that's appealing to them and that's what's bringing them interest to the game it's not what um there seems to be a difference in them. There's a temptation sometimes to say all American owners are exactly the same. They're not. But I think the um, the way Fenway seems to be going with Liverpool is they can't get their heads around why European soccer is not run exactly the same way as American baseball. Whereas the 49ers and their crew of investors seem on the surface to like the difference. They're more interested in, they're attracted by it not being like what they already I mean, the good parts of American sports are not the fact that nobody gets relegated. I don't think anybody particularly thinks, yeah, that's the great idea to copy, unless it, it protects your self-interest. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Back on planet Earth, under 23s, as we forecasted. I mean, crystal ball time. We were so right with this one, wasn't we, weren't we, last week? Um, the under 23s are the champions of their under 23 Premier League Division 2 division. Congratulations. It's a great achievement. I'm really proud of them. And it's been really, really good watching them this year. I know there's the old jokes about who who's your second team and it's lead reserves. But this year, because we've been able to actually watch pretty much every game, I think, I actually have done. And it's been great. They're, they're incredibly good to watch. If anyone didn't see the win at Villa, just go and watch the first 10 minutes of it on YouTube because we're absolutely flying at them. And it's great. It's it's very much like the first team. And and it's not it's quite a strong Villa side as well. They've got the odd first teamer in there as well. And we, we absolutely batter them. It's a, we win... 2-1 in the end but it should have been by more this is part of what I really love about what Leeds is at the minute is the overlap between the 23s and the first team and we seem to be all singing off the same hymn sheet I like the fact do you like our player that we stole from a, a financially battered Wigan and he's now our, <laughs> our best player oh it's a good it's a good feeling but the counterpoint to that is his new Bezzy isn't it the fact that we got uh, Sam Greenwood from Arsenal because he sees us as a better pathway to the is, first team is old Bezzy the were mates before the fact that he's here because he sees us as a better opportunity to to get him through. So let's ignore the bit that makes us look bad, <laughs> but just focus on that bit. Let's be hypocrites because that, as we found in the last seventy two hours, is what football is all about. Indeed, but they have been they have been brilliant this season, and um, there was some young, promising young lad called Adam Forshaw in the team as well for this yeah. game. It's gr- great to see him back, and for all the, you know the jokes and and stuff that we've made, not we personally made about him, but um, we as a collective have made about him. It's really good to see him back because you feel for him on a human level. It was funny. The jokes, Daniel Farker, a friend of the the podcast, was talking about that with Sam Byram, that he, he tries to sort of go in and have a joke with him in the in the treatment room. Said, oh, when are you ever going to be fit? Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's always been walking that line of like, you know, oh, maybe he has been sold for, for meat. Just joking. But it was <laughs> meat. It was always. Oh, uh, you're, you're dog food, aren't you, Byram? <laughs> It was always um, like that with with Forshaw because if you didn't laugh, you'd cry with all that kind of stuff. And watching him in this match, I know Bielsa said he would play more minutes than 60 that he played against York, but assuming he thought York was his first game, he must have been involved in murder ball and stuff before that because he got to 60 and I was thinking, right, maybe he'll be coming off. And then Charlie Creswell got um, sent off for an absolutely outstanding, (laughs) um, very lead tackle. You think, well, well, maybe they'll take Forshaw off, but kept him on. And it was only when um, he started holding the, the back of his, his thigh. And Ben Parker, who was had a lot of, sort of failed injury comebacks himself, so I take his word for it, said it looked like it was just cramp, nothing too serious. But yeah, the 84th Did he minute, say it was just cramp or was he saying, please just be cramp, please just be cramp? <laughs> he was looking at it and he was like, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a, a bad one. I think it's just, um, yeah, his assessment was cramp. So 84 minutes of... Um, Adam Forshaw, and he, yeah, he looked as as foreshore as he ever did. Everything you were, uh, you ever liked or disliked about Adam Forshaw was absolutely there in the same um, very neat and tidy package. And the nice thing is now, because we're all safe and secure in the Premier League, there's no massive pressure on him to rush back this season. Just when you're good and ready, build up to it, increase your minutes, increase increase your physical output, and we'll and we'll see you when we see you. So whether he makes the matchday squad for. Scumbags at the weekend. The um, what? The Salford Red franchise are in town. He can't be far off because Berardi, you didn't think would be seen this season, came back from his injury straight in the squad. 
after I think maybe a couple more under twenty threes appearances than than Forshaw. You know, we know Bielsa rates him and loves him. It wouldn't be surprising if he then gets into the onto the bench. Yeah, I mean, maybe he does come back because there's nothing at stake really now. Maybe so. You know, it's we can afford to give him the minutes, I guess, particularly in a meaningless game against uh, what are they called. I've forgotten the name again. We do Newton Heath. Yeah, we owe them one, don't we? I mean, look, they're a good side, but they can be got as we said in the first game. They can be got at if I think if all the conditions are favourable in terms of they're not quite at their peak and we are at our peak and we don't concede two goals inside the first minute. Scott McTominay was the the issue last time, wasn't he? Because he's not played as well ever before or since. And And never will again. No. Um, Yeah, we we definitely owe them one, don't we? And they're not that good. I know they did look really good against us, but they also just spent two months of this season just drawing games against quite average teams, which completely knackered them. We can beat them. And we're a bit older and wiser now. It certainly feels that way. And, you know, it's a running theme I've touched on across the weeks. Leicester, you know, the Liverpool game most recently. We've progressed. We're a much better side than we were at the start of the season. And I don't want to start using the term naive, but I do think we're more streetwise now. Yeah, unless Solskjaer's got something new up his sleeve for this one. That's what did us at Old Trafford is nobody expected the Scott McTominay Inquisition to be rushing through the way it was and happened uh, so many times in the first few minutes before we'd worked out what uh, Scum's plan was that we were two goals down before we'd even got started and had time to adapt. And then uh, didn't we win the second half from memory? I can't remember. That would be, that sounds like clutching at straws. Yeah, you're right. It might have been 5 0 at at half time. I can't quite remember. uh, But in terms of we settled it down. I mean, he was counting the goals. Liam Liam Cooper definitely scored in the first half, didn't he? Was was it 4 1 at half time? I can't remember. We got better (laughs) anyway, and we were finishing the game. It was one of those where by full time, you thought if there's another 20 minutes of this, we could score another four. Um, we've not, not necessarily we've not, concede we've but, not had games like this have we recently like the, the first Liverpool game was a bit like and the first Man City game was a bit like the first Man United game where it was really end to end it felt like there were massive openings whereas the more recent games against Man City and Liverpool have been tighter affairs haven't they we've not been cut open in quite yeah. the same terrifying way I think I might have sort of touched on this in one of the recent shows it feels like we've kind of narrowed the parameters now it's not quite as wild and extreme on either end as it was I mean you know, I know we're setting ourselves up here for a potential massive fall, as is always the case when you preview a game, but it doesn't feel like we're as reckless going forward and it doesn't feel like we're as porous at the back either anymore. It feels like maybe we've, we've struck something that resembles more of a balance. We can lose this one 2-0 instead. <laughs> it was 4-1 at half time, so it's, what does that make the second half? We drew second two, half. Two. So we did improve. and we, improved, we get a point for that? We improved second half against... Didn't we lose um, 6-2? Yeah. Yes. So we so lost 4-1. the second half. Oh, did we? Ah, oh. <laughs> too many goals. Too sorry, many- to, sorry to let you know, lads, but that's a that's a defeat. Is that in the an L? Half. Is that an L? Is it? That's, Gen- a, that's, is, a, that's a two-one defeat in the second half. As Gen Z said, should the, we, uh, we should get a bonus just, point for trying though. The um the attacking momentum graph on Sofa Score as well also suggests that we were not dominating the, <laughs> the end of the game the way I remember. But you know, <laughs> who cares? Seventy-three minutes. Stuart Dallas assist Rafinha um, after we'd brought on Leaf Davis for Liam Cooper. The other side of this, by the way, is that, you know, when I bravely forecast maybe getting something at Man City is that you have to look at it in the in the context of the season now and the season's done for them. Are they going to slip out of the Champions League places? Highly unlikely, isn't it? They're, they're, they're going to be dragged out of them they're firmly, by their pubes. Fir- <laughs> firmly, firmly cemented in there. They're not going to win the league, even though they might pretend otherwise. So is there a, is there a, 
I don't know, a sense that the players are slightly clocked off here and given the distractions of the last week might not be 100% focused. Got, they've got Europa League to focus on as well, haven't they? Which is another... Are they, are they still in that? I think they're still in it, aren't they? I've got vague memories. Didn't, Didn't they, they play, play Granada? Uh, yeah, Ford Granada. And, um, Granada TV. Yes. One of them. Anthony Wilson tribute match. Yeah, they could be, their minds could be elsewhere and we know that Bielsa isn't going to allow any of that in his his team. Llorente is also a factor as well at the back who uh, Liverpool wasn't necessarily his, his best game, but his best goal so far, certainly of all the ones he scored for us. Cooper is still suspended for this one, isn't he? So it'll be strike with him and strike was uh, in the first game as well. But Rafinha coming back in is probably the only likely change if, if he's fit. Do you feel like I do? Like there's not a huge amount at stake. I know there's always that reputational thing and we'll absolutely love it if we beat them. But if we lose to them, I don't feel particularly like asked about it because I'm enjoying now embracing the fact that we are safe and we can just, because it's been so long since we've been able to do this, just relax at the end of the season. Not the players, but just us mentally, because it's been so fatiguing year after year, feeling like everything was at stake and everything was on the line. And it's not now. I don't think I'll feel massively relaxed when the game starts. Oh no, I hate every second of it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, the build-up is, it is different. There's not, there isn't a huge amount riding on it. But I think the main thing riding on it for me is that we need to give a much better account of ourselves because yeah. I think it's probably the one game this season where I would say we really let ourselves down conceding six to them because then they're not all that brilliant. And we the way we started that game was just all wrong. It went catastrophically wrong. And the irony, I think, given that we've sort of looked at the uh, the Super League and it feels like it's going to be an exhibition match, this kind of feels a little bit like that to me because we're in an empty stadium still. Although the Super League, debating with Super League, the Super League to the Super League in death so far, although it obscured the Liverpool game, I did also feel like it gave that match a little bit more of an edge while it was playing. And I was quite happy that we had scum and then still Spurs to come so we could keep wearing the T-shirts and keep having that little that little grudge story going on, teaching this lot a, a lesson because it'll be great when we beat them 4-0 this weekend anyway, but beating them 4-0 while they still had the uh, Super League nonsense going on at the same time um, while, you know, flicking them with wet T-shirts in the showers or whatever it was that Jurgen Klopp didn't like all that stuff would have added something to the game. It still will, in a way, but not uh, not quite as on point as it was against um, Liverpool. So prediction time then. Uh, you just have to guess now what minute they'll get their penalty in. Ooh, probably um, probably a late one in a 1-0 Se- win. 79 minutes. Fernandez goes down. It's on the line. There's been a, a wisp of a, a fingernail across his shoulder and he goes down, but VAR managed to slow it down and get the frame where there's the contact, and uh, and that's the end of the game. 1-0 Man United. 4-0 Leeds, I think. <laughs> Harry Maguire will be so distracted after a, a week of um, cartel busting that he won't be able to, to concentrate on the game. I mean, Marcus Rashford, for example, same problem. He's, he's so busy feeding hungry kids and he's been breaking the cartel this week that he's, he's not got time for football. Pogba's got documentary to write. Um, so his book club as well for Rashford has he got one of those as well he's got a kid's book what an absolute bastard <laughs> not only feeding them he's trying to make them literate as well so everybody's uh, very busy and Leeds will win 4-0 because they will have the uh, they'll want to and then it'll be 6-6 on aggregate you can't fault my maths there <laughs> 
This part of the show is Heroes and Villains, the good and the bad from the last seven days. <laughs> the Ken Bates Villainy Award comes first. Do we even need to bother? That's the question. Or just award it. I mean, there are some popular nominees, actually, who've not done anything to try and destroy football. I mean, Andy Hingecliffe, looking down this list, got six nominations from Aidan, Andy, Paul, Benny Boy, Aaron and Ronan. Just for being a miserable bastard, basically. Yeah. Setting the bar impossibly high for every single footballer on that Leeds United side when they do the slightest thing wrong and then not a word of praise for when Llorente does a double Cruyff turn against Mane. Not a word of praise. The miserable chinny bastard. <laughs> so yeah, he, he's in there. It's other miserable bastards clock for his turning the shirt thing into something about him. Seemed to take it very personally, didn't he, that we'd, that we'd done this thing with the shirts, completely ignoring the wider point that was being made. It is extraordinary how Klopp has managed to put himself on the wrong side of, of all this when you think anybody... And it was very it would have been very easy for him. You know, he just had to do what Jim Milner did where he said, oh, I think the, the, the fans was a bit much. It's not really our fault, but they make a good point and I'm against the, the thing in general. Instead, he, he seems to decide... This is the moment to argue about Gary Neville, which it just was not the moment to argue about Gary Neville and he was setting himself up for an easy defeat on that yeah. one. Wrong target, wasn't it? Take the L, as Agnelli's favourite future fans would say. George also pointing out, um, displaying his brass neck for whinging about some mild shouting at the bus, given the welcome that Man City bus got the other week and also Real Madrid. Yeah. They had their window put through, oh, didn't but they? But, but that Liverpool fans, such a special set of fans. Special brick went through that window. <laughs> Yeah, we, we shouted a few words at a coach, which was basically behind a security fence for the most part of it. Because if you've not been to Allen Road recently, which you probably haven't, they've built a new compound for the, the away coaches and the away teams. And there's uh, a new gate behind the cop in the northwest corner um, that allows access to the, the car park. It is a kind of Berlin Wall they've put yeah. up in that car park. There's really very little danger. It's got Soviet prison vibe about it for the away fans. The, the catwalk from the uh, the coach park to the, um, the southwest corner is quite something, isn't it? It's a bit... Yes, it's Soviet prison, but um, as part of all that, there is an access gate where the coaches come in off the service road behind the, the cop, and then they get in there and got shouted at a bit, so Poor preci- lambs. precious little things. Speaking, speaking of Soviet prisons, uh, someone who should be in one, uh, Matt Law and his, his uh, bit of journalism he did about Roman Abramovich. This is Matt Law, by the way, if you remember him, he's the... Daily the, Telegraph, isn't he? Daily Telegraph, he wanted... Lampard and Dean Smith and Chris Wilder was it nominated mm. instead of, of Bielsa for Coach I mean, of the Year? But in fairness, he has gone to town on Daniel Levy and said Spurs are an absolute disgrace over this whole um, Super League affair. So presumably, he's applying that standard to everyone. And also, if you remember, he wanted points deducted for our for the Spygate yeah, thing as well. Yeah. He, was, he was very clear on that. Whereas this, so, I mean, of, he's got a, clearly a moral compass that we can all get behind. His fearless journalism extending to Chelsea, much as it did when he was um, defending Frank Lampard at every turn. Legacy is important to Ron Abramovich, which is why he couldn't go ahead with the Super League plan. I'm sorry, I'm tearing up. Oh. Yeah, okay, do you need a minute, mate? It was a horrible miscalculation by him and Chelsea to get on board, but he's safe face with the club's I fans. Mean, I mean, how is billionaire um, oh. Roman Abramovich going to put up with such searing insight, such critique, so, you know, such fearless journalism? I mean, he could have been novichoked off off this earth potentially if he'd have, if he'd have said something otherwise. But um, anyway, well done, Matt. You're a, you're a fine, fine journalist. Let's hope he doesn't live in Salisbury. Eh? We had Mo Salah was picked out by John Kennan Phil uh, for the dirty he's called being called a dirty knee crunching twat. Uh, the obvious stamp for crushing Urente's knee and get away with getting away with it. They didn't look at it properly, did they? 
I feel like with the Liam Cooper challenge, we had about 30 replays of that. Shades of Sterling doing it against um, Duda the other week, wasn't it? Leaving his foot in. But they're the elite mega you know, Europa super duper league <laughs> stars, aren't they? And also a couple of nominations for VAR refereeing in general for from Jack and Johnny as well for saying how many fouls did Thiago commit, which I did notice he did. There was one particularly obvious one he did on Tyler Roberts, which was an absolute booking. Even if that was a standalone foul, it was a booking because he just he just plain old dragged him down when we were counter-attacking and he completely got away with it. Um, and also the, there was the Trent Alexander handball as well. But Daniel Levy has been singled out for having a millionaire's position in life, but the same attitude to money as Normanton. <laughs> so are you the square balls, Daniel Levy? Can we start referring to you as such from now on? No, I think, I think... And you've got the same bald head. That's been pointed out as well. Do you think I would have spent a billion pounds on something? Nah, fair point. I would have said White Alley was fine. It'd have been a, You'd an have been, absolute yeah. shed of a place if I'd been in charge of it. <laughs> You'd have been building it yourself, gaffer taping it together, wouldn't <laughs> exactly. you? Exactly. It'd have all looked like the very worst bits of the West Stand if I'd been in charge at Spurs. <laughs> Perez has been mentioned for all, well, all manner of things and a specific nomination for suggesting games need to be shorter. I mean, they don't, do they? No, it's fine. Football, that's one of the, that's the beauty of football is that it's quite short. I mean, I, I actually quite enjoy occasionally watching some sports that do go on like forever, like cricket or golf or something. I, as snooker, I can kind of see the benefit of those sports, but I can also see why some people don't because I mean, it, it kind of goes on forever. Whereas my, football, really compact. You only have to concentrate for 45 minutes at a time and there's stuff happening all the time. You can have a wee break in between. Mind you, that, um, that Chelsea-Brighton game on... Um, on Tuesday night, that felt like it went on for a five-day test match, didn't it? I mean, you know it'll be over soon, though, don't you? That's the thing. Yeah. You, you can you can see the clock and you can think, well... It's only 20 minutes left, yeah. How yeah. would they ever con- convince American sports fans to be interested in a game like baseball, for example, that can last for nine fucking hours, <laughs> never mind nine lots of ten minutes? It's kind of funny with them. Well, it'd be funny if it wasn't so irritating, but them just like sending Perez out as the the best among them to sell the Super League idea to the to the world and he's just an absolute fucking fool. A very old man saying what young people want. Well, the moral and intellectual equivalent of Florentino Perez has been nominated and that's Oz, um, John Crossland. Again, was it John who was really angry when you mentioned him on, on Propaganda? It says, Moscow, Daniel and Michael for calling it. And my, only my mum calls me Daniel. Dan, please. Moscow, Dan and Michael for calling it a match ball, but really it was a moan about the Super League. This isn't what I pay the subscription Don't for. Don't for sarcasm, though, is there? Uh, I want expert analysis of how the game went. <laughs> well, you're in the wrong... No, re- the wrong... no refunds, John. No, you're in the wrong place, John. Sorry about that. But yeah, the winner is Generic Greedy Bastards this week, isn't it? Which was suggested by everybody. And Matt basically covered it off with the Glazers, Perez, Abramovich, FSG, all the Super League knobs. Everyone. A lot of them. Get in the bin. Making us far happier this week than the nominees for the Andy Hughes Hero Award. I want to nominate one right up front, which is Daniel Farker, who's done a great job. We were talking about, you know, sustainability in football before Moscow and how we've got this new generation of owners and their model is different. And okay, we've 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 lampooned them, Norwich, for not giving a shit about the Premier League and getting up and going straight back down again. But and destroying Becchio, which I'll never forgive them that's for. That's true. But in this new age of togetherness and unity and understanding. And mustard. And mustard. It's good to see Norwich back in the Premier League. And I want to congratulate Daniel Farker personally for uh, getting them back up and I'd love to know what did he think of his promotion it's very nice and I'm so pleased that the Super League isn't going to happen because I was very right when I was looking at Paul Sam and I had to say to him you know not not only are you not going to play in the Premier League because of your injuries but the Premier League will close down now and all we can do is send you to I can send you to Liverpool for for to be deconstructed and given to the players they can eat you for 
for part of their, their recovery and that, that's all they're good for now. But thankfully I can go to the Premier League and I can see this, this cheese room, which I'm looking forward to for so long now, but it's going to be lovely in there and I, I, I can't wait to have a, have a, little, a little glass of wine there and uh, maybe a, maybe a, a, a Libra Milch in there with, with my, uh, my slice of Gouda and it's going to be absolutely lovely. It's a shame poor old Sam Byron has just become an alternative source of protein, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> it's a toss-up between him and cheese, isn't it, now? Well, a final lump of protein. Joe Gellhart's had a nomination for squaring up to Wesley. Villa's nine-foot, £22 million reserve lump. He was a strange presence in this reserve game because you were just watching it and you thought, what the fuck's this? And then I realised it was the guy they spent like 20 million quid on last season who's had, who's had injuries and stuff. But he's no right to be playing in the 23s game. I mean, at least Adam Forshaw looks like he can kind of blend in. Wesley's enormous. And, and at one point he did a bad tackle on Joe Gelhart, who was, I'd say, at least a foot and five stone short of him. And he just jumped up and got right in his face, which was quite pleasing. Well, he got in his neck because he can't reach his face. I would also like to nominate Adam Forshaw, actually, not just for coming back from his injury and looking uh, good in a match again, but for staying out of the celebrations at the end of the game. He didn't do a full John Terry piling in on top of everybody, stealing all the glory. And also for what I imagine must have been quite a difficult coach journey home from Birmingham. Because if you imagine he's, he's 29, coming up 30, being on a coach with 15 to 20 excitable oh. teenagers who've just won a league. Oh, and the, probably, du- the WKD's out. They're probably, on the Smirnoff ice. Oh. Yeah. And how many of them have had a, a, a drink before? You know, you would hope none of them. And maybe Mark Jackson said, all right, we can, we can all have one now. And, you know, just the the smell of a can of dark fruits being opened and they're all absolutely fucking off. Just trying to read his paper. <laughs> oh, so for withstanding all that, I, uh, I salute Adam Forshaw because um, I'm sure it's not what he needed. And a man after Adam Forshaw's heart, presumably just wanted a bit of peace and quiet. James Milner uh, was thrown in front of the cameras to answer for the sins of John W. Henry and he did a good job of it. Uh, opposed the Super League. Joe said he had the bottle to do it. Uh, Nick Green as well. He was also one of the first to break cover on social media as well, was was Milner, with a slightly... It wasn't an outright calling out of it, but when he, he said that um, we fight with all we have to qualify for the Champions League, that's our job. That's mm. a, It was a very clear yeah. what he meant by that. A lot of the players have had to be careful. I think I read that the Man City ones were told not to say anything about it. Um, and then Pep Guardiola was came out and said he was completely against it. And was then dragged that. off, essentially. Yeah. But they went, that's enough questions about this. <laughs> and there was, cut the um, feed, cut the feed. The Liverpool website carrying the transcript of Jurgen Klopp's post-game comments and removing all the questions and answers about the Super League. So there's a lot of players now kind of, there'll be a mixture between jumping on the bandwagon now. It's Ovis and also other ones who they actually, maybe they feel safe to break cover and say, I wanted to say I was against it before, now I can Milner, though, and you knew he would. I'm sure he's the perfect representative to stand there and say, I just think it's a bad idea. Luke Ayling's um, comments went under the, the radar as well. I think it was before the game. He said, uh, some rich fellows have got together and decided this is a good idea. So it is what it is. It's not really for me. Bless perfect. Him. Yeah, he, he was picked out as well by Ethan for his abundance of Ayling flops in that game against Liverpool <laughs> that quite rightly earned us even more of a moral victory than prior to the match. Uh, Sam pointed out best right back on the pitch <laughs> yeah, with Gareth Southgate watching as well. He was good there. to see. Yeah, um, Urente was picked out by various people. Um, Victor Orta and the club for the shirts and the banners. Victor Orta was out in the car park when the coaches were being shouted at and he was enjoying himself, wasn't he, Michael? We were there. We were down there. And there was a lot of sort of uh, 
fist pumping and he got a bit of video on his phone when the fans were singing Six Greedy Bastards and so on and so forth. I'm surprised that he didn't turn up in his Against Modern Football hoodie that he wore for an away game once. Yeah, yeah he seems to be... Um, he seems to be... It was quite funny, actually, to hear the fans chanting about... Chanting for Victor Alter. You think, God, a few years ago, people ever want, everyone wanted him out, didn't they? But things can turn around. John, Meddy, Liam, Alan, Jim, George, Ben all picked out Bamford as well for being a bloody nice chap. Um, you know, wise words in his post-match interview and he... He does seem like um, a very erudite and intelligent young man. John Ward phrases it nicely, saying, I'm beginning to think he wasn't accepted at other clubs because he's honest, intelligent and not a total cock. Yeah, he does break the mould. He's the exception that proves the rule, actually. Nice one for the trust as well and the people who went down there. So are we congratulating ourselves, Michael, for this? Oh, absolutely. I think we've we've stopped this Super League, haven't we, Dan? Yeah, well, well done. Banners, plane. Um, I, I mean, if you'd asked me to come with you, I would have, you know, maybe stopped it as well. So don't be taking all that credit. I didn't fucking know you were going, did I? <laughs> I said I was. I said I was going down there. Oh, shit. We'd best discuss this off air afterwards. But no, they trusted well. I mean, they, and, and also to the Liverpool fans and everyone who got stuff organised at very short notice for this. There were banners, there was a plane, there was a protest. Good. And we, we got to see the um, the Sky TV drone as well, didn't we? That was behind the cop. Um, I wasn't sure if that was Sky or the police or who exactly, who who had the drone going up. But, it was, I think it was Sky. Yeah, it looked like Sky's um, fancy thing, big thing as well. There was a chant earlier, I don't know if you were there for the bit where there was a chant, you can, you can stick your fucking drone up your ass, which was... I mean, it was, it was a girthy thing. It was sizable. Yeah. I was amazed at how big it was, actually, when it was on the ground. I did wonder on the, the T-shirts and Porter's involvement and the banner and the, the plane, how the conversations within Elland Road had gone, whether at some point Orta had to be talked back from the Molotov cocktails as the kind of the, <laughs> the plans increase. We're going to do T-shirts. We're going to put them in their, their room. I'm going to set fire to their coach. Mm, no, we'll stick with the, the ideas we've got so far. Bielsa got some love for his stance on Super League and, and summed it up perfectly as he always does. Perveda got some love from Jack for changing the game when he came on and, and making things happen against a, a fair to middling fullback. Alioski for doing his best impression of Bridget Nielsen in Rocky Four. Another one for Gen Z there. I know we've got to speak to Gen Z now, haven't we? That's what Florentino Perez has said. So. This is too long for him. They'll have already turned off. Yeah. Uh, Pablo Hernandez got a mention. No, not Pablo Hernandez. Paul Hernandez. I think Oh, I think autocorrect got the better of um, of Johnny Dent, but it made him, it said it made his heart sing to see El Mago back on the pitch. Oh, Paul. Paul Hernandez. <laughs> and an unlikely candidate. Well, we'll come to him in a second, Perez. He's been nominated, but Gary Neville gets uh, a mention. Again, we have to invoke historical precedent here and say, well done, Gary. We all agree with you. You're marvellous, but you're still a scum bastard. And you've still been kind of involved in the the financial doping of a lower league team for a few years as well. So there's there's all sorts of contradictions in there with, with Neville in the fact that he was at scum at a time when they were outspending everyone. He was then at Sky when they were outspending everyone for TV rights. He's then at Salford when they're outspending everyone in non-league. <laughs> but he's still right on this. You can be wrong on some things and right on some things. It's it's fine. And he's and I think he's having someone that high profile speaking out so vehemently against this has undoubtedly helped. And multiple winner of this award in recent weeks, Stuart Dallas, want to mention him for turning thirty uh, and Tolerating it, it was, it was overshadowed by all this. It happened on the day of the Liverpool game, so many happy returns, Stuart. Really spoiled his birthday. Yeah, you're continuing to be a hero to me. Florentino Perez. Just for forgetting about Spurs. Yeah, fair point. <laughs> Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Ar- esto, Chelsea. Oh, yeah. That's five. That's five. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Hero of the week, then, who is it going to be? The under-23s. 
because that was a football thing that happened this week and it was good. The children are our future and Darren Forshaw gets a side nomination for putting up with them. What a wholesome note to finish on and I'm glad we could finish this week's show on a wholesome note after all that grubbiness. Hopefully more normal football talk next week. We can forget this whole sorry business ever happened. Good shout. We'll catch you next time. See you in a bit. The Square Ball Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.